Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and in this week's episode we talk about your 5-18 and 18 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the Derrick Rose trade from all angles, the Pistons' thrilling double overtime loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, and we talk about our concern about Sekou Dumbuya's lack of production. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Laz, I'm doing pretty good. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to those who uh, celebrate the NFL, NFL's biggest day of the year. But uh, It is hey, like an American holiday. It is, of. practically, right? I, uh, but bigger deal to me, we're the worst team in the NBA again, right? So... Hey, that that tank is working. We're number one on Tankathon. <laughs> we got uh, we got some a little actual like big news. Some big some big things happened for the Detroit Pistons today. Well, maybe sort of. It's not finalized at the time of this recording, but it looks like the uh, New York Knicks and the Detroit Pistons have reached a, a agreement on a framework to trade Derrick Rose to the Knicks. It's Dennis Smith Jr. and some sort of draft compensation. We don't know exactly what draft compensation. It appears that that's the holdup. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much the trade, uh, Ben. So I want to I want to break this down just a little bit, just because there's not you know there's not much else. But like from a from a value perspective, do you think that's enough for Derrick Rose? This year, I would say yeah. I mean, a year ago, I think the way he was playing, he could have maybe fetched a first rounder. And I guess a first rounder isn't totally off the table yet, but I guess I would be surprised if that happens. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, where he's at this year, you know, with only the rest of this season on his deal, you know, thinking back to a year ago, if you could get a year and a half out of Derrick Rose, then maybe a first round pick is worth your while, you know, if you're making a push into the playoffs or whatever. But. I mean, we'll see what the draft compensation turns into, but my gut instinct tells me um, that this is probably fair. Um, I don't know what Dennis Smith Jr. really has to offer. Um, You know, I I think athleticism is the thing that will be exciting to see. Um, You know, I think certainly he's going to earn some minutes or at least be given some minutes looking at the the point guard rotation, which looks a little scary right now. but yeah, I think this is fair compensation. And I think the thing for me that's actually maybe even more interesting is that this pretty much guarantees that the tank is on, right? Like uh, Derek Rose was sometimes good enough to single-handedly <laughs> bring, <laughs> bring back the team. That's no longer an option. So so yeah, I think this is a good thing and, and decent value for, for what he's got left. The the 5-18 and 18 record wasn't enough indication that the tank was on? <laughs> well, you know... you. You, you just never know with a guy like Derrick Rose. He could go <laughs> score 40. So, 
that's not going to happen for us anymore. That's very true. Uh, it seems like the pick. So we got the reports from James Edwards, the third at the athletic that the pick is likely going to be Charlotte's 2021. So this year, second round pick right now, that's the 40th pick. I don't think Charlotte's going to make the playoffs or anything crazy. So think of that as like a top 45 ish pick. And, uh, yeah, that does, that feels a little low, but you're right, Ben, to point out that it's only for half a year of Derrick Rose, right? It's not the, it's not the, the, uh, contract kind of length that you could have expected in last year's trade. Do you think that is like with this, like with this return in mind, like with the knowledge that like, Hey, like this team is rebuilding. Do you think they should have traded Rose at last year's deadline? I mean, that would have been my choice. Um, you know, there were, if I recall the reporting at the time, um, there was a lot of skepticism skepticism among the beat writers that a first-round pick was ever really on the table. So maybe that's just fans having a bit of wishful thinking. Um, yeah. But look, I mean, Dennis Smith Jr., probably not going to pan out, but what if he does, right? Like, it's worth the shot for a guy as athletic as he is. Um, you know, maybe he finds his shot a little bit working with the Pistons where he hasn't been able to somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would have done it a year ago, but it's better than just letting him walk, right? Like even a even a middle middle second round pick somewhere, early to middle second round pick is better than nothing. Yeah. The, the thing, the deal that really I remember as like being a useful framework for Derrick Rose was like last year to Philly for – like a, a piece, I don't remember exactly which which uh, player would have gone back to the Pistons, and like two second round picks, yeah. one of which I think ended up ended up being like pretty high in the thirties, and the other one of which ended up being like in the not so high in the thirties, like in, in the like you know fifty ish range, and so you know would you rather have one second round pick or two? Would you rather have you know? Uh, there was always kind of the hope that you could get a late first round pick for Derrick Rose. It appears that's not really the case, and like like he intimated, and like the uh, the beat writer said, and so I, I think it's it's fair. But I I can say that I did reach out to some people. I did talk to some folks, and the Pistons did not make this trade to get a look at Dennis Smith Jr. Right? Mm-hmm. This is a uh, this is seems more to me like this is just like an amicable parting of ways and understanding of like where the two you know, like where Derrick Rose is headed in his career and like where the Pistons are headed in, in their you know rebuild and so you know it's a it's, a, it's not necessarily how Derrick Rose like wanted to spend the rest of his year and so like it, that's fair it's a it's an un, it's not like an unhappy uh, split but like I totally understand why Derrick Rose like didn't want to. Uh, you know, sacrifice his body for a team that's like I said, currently five and eighteen. I think they're five and eighteen. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, unless this gets back to a point you've made a number of times over the season, which is, um, what what value is there, um, with respect to treating veterans and players in a way that uh, is fair to them, and you know, what sort of credibility will that build you over the long term when you are exploring, for example, the you know, the free, the free agency veterans market. Right. So, you know, maybe not this summer, right. It's just, it's just one year of Troy Weaver, but 
you can imagine three, four, five years from now, if the rebuild does come together, uh, and Troy Weaver has built a reputation for being an executive who treats players fairly, um, you know, that that could be valuable. That could have some worth. So, you know, maybe you do get the 45 pick out of Derrick Rose and you wish you had the 40th. Um, but at the same time, maybe this pays dividends a couple of years from now in a way that we're just not expecting yet. No, that's, that's an excellent point. Uh, to talk a little bit about Dennis Smith Jr., like we, we've talked about the concept of second draft guys before. Um, Smith, you know, is obviously a lottery pick in 2017, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, he just turned 23, so he's like roughly the same age as Josh Jackson. So, as, as, you know, his story in the NBA hopefully is like not, you know, done being written. But, you know, he wasn't able to break into the rotation in New York because he suffered a deep thigh bruise in training camp. And so he missed uh, a bunch of the early parts of the season and uh, the preseason. I, like, I don't remember him playing in any of the preseason games. Um, and, you know, they have Emmanuel quickly, uh, a rookie who they had just spent a like low 20s pick on. And he was playing well right away and he's still playing well. And so you understand why. Uh, Smith Jr. was, you know, willing to, or why Smith Jr. was, uh, you know, out of the rotation. Um, career averages for Dennis Smith Jr. His career numbers are not great. He's got uh, 12 points, five assists on really bad shooting numbers, uh, 40% from the floor, 31% from three, 65% from the line. Um, but like his, the shooting has always kind of been the thing that holds him back. But the appeal of him, like even as far back as the as the lottery was his explosive athleticism. He can generate uh, a lot of pressure on the rim in transition in the half court. Um, if you're, you know, playing without, uh, if you're playing with spacing, like he, he can get to the rim. Um, Pistons fans will remember that he had maybe the, like the best game of his career against the Pistons. He scored uh, 31 points with eight assists, uh, like a game or two after he had been traded to the Knicks for the first time in the middle of the, uh, Pistons playoff run in 2018-19. Um, but yeah, the, the the shooting has just been the the toughest thing for him. Um, but like you've heard me, Ben, complain about how much like I've been mad about the point guard play now that Killian's been hurt. And if you if you give me a shot, like I would rather watch Dennis Smith Jr. than Sabin Lee right now, because at least I know Dennis Smith Jr. can function as a below average backup point guard with the with the upside of more right even though i know the pistons or even though i got i get the sense that the pistons like didn't make this trade to to get the look at dennis smith jr i'm curious to see like what he's got in the tank you know well yeah and i mean just look at the point guards the pistons have though like i i have to think he'll get some playing time and so i, I was kind of checking out his stats before we we started recording and so his three point shooting in dallas was kind of on the uptick before he got traded to New York and it kind of plummeted when he got to New York. And I haven't watched enough of the Knicks to feel like I have a sense of why, but he was kind of trending towards being like a 35% three point shooter at 21 years old. Like if he gets just a little bit better, 36, 37, 38%, like you said, he's only 23. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't write him off completely just yet. Right. Like, so even if they didn't trade, um, for him to get a look at him, it would surprise me if he doesn't get time. 
Uh, and that might just turn into something for him. Even if it doesn't mean he stays with the Pistons, like it, it could still turn into something. I wouldn't write him off yet. No, exactly. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of interest. Um, well, not a lot of it. He was a very like high pedig- pedigree guy coming into the draft. He has a lot of connections, right? Like you, you look at the people who have helped him work on the jumper over off seasons. Like I'm just scrolling through stories because I can remember multiple stories. It's like, Hey, He's working on his jumper this offseason. He's going to be good. But, like, he's worked with Brandon Payne, who's Steph Curry's trainer, on his jumper. He's worked with Keith Smart, the the former uh, NBA – I think he was an NBA player, and he was definitely an NBA head coach for the Warriors. He worked with uh, Ma, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, uh, ex-player for the Denver Nuggets, and uh, used to be Chris Jackson. He was a really good, really explosive point guard back in the day. Um, he's worked with like his own guy. Um, he's worked with Chris Paul in the off seasons. Not like sp- he's worked out with Chris Paul, not like specifically on anything mechanical with the jumper, but like he's worked out with Chris Paul because they're both North Carolina guys. And so, like, there's there's some there there <laughs> with Dennis Smith Jr. It's just you you wonder if maybe the the Knicks development situation got a hold of him as you pointed out, and it's like that kind of a. Uh, that's why that didn't work as much because he did show some promise uh, in Dallas. I mean, uh, it's so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, He should be the backup point guard right away. I don't think he will start over DeLon Wright right away, but I definitely think given everything, um, you know, we've seen the Pistons roll out, you know, Rodney Magruder, the last at point guard, the last (laughs) couple of games. Yeah. And I guess it should have been more of an indication that the Pistons were thinking about Derrick Rose since he hadn't played in a week. But uh, I just I thought that was like just typical Derrick Rose stuff. But uh, yeah, he was fine. Um, so yeah, Derrick Rose is soon to be a Nick. Dan Smith Jr. is soon to be a Piston. Are you gonna what, what's your uh, what's your uh, moment of the the Derrick Rose Pistons tenure? Ben? Oh man, is there a moment? I mean, I feel like his tenure as a Piston sort of encapsulates what the Pistons were like with him, which is like, it feels kind of like a what if, right? Like what if things had turned out differently? Like what if Blake Griffin had stayed healthy? You know, like what if this, what if that, right? Like he was obviously too good for the Pistons a season ago. Um, he, he's too good still to sort of waste away his last uh, of his productivity, right? I mean, obviously he's... Um, you know, he's going to go down as a, as a great player. So to see him sort of waste away on the worst team in the league is not how you want to see him go out. So, you know, I don't know if there was a moment, but, um, you know, he, he, he won me over in the sense that I definitely was not excited about him becoming a Piston. But at the same time, like there were enough games where he sort of led the charge on the second unit and, and was exciting to watch and was fun to watch. Uh, and, and I ended up cheering for him, right? He put on the Pistons uniform, and I was able to just say, you know what, he's he's a Piston. I'm going to cheer for him. Um, and I hope I hope that with the Knicks, <laughs> which is weird to see him going to the Knicks because they're not necessarily a contender. I think they're back under 500, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, but I hope he finds some success and is able to um, close his career with a productive team, which obviously we aren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are not very productive at this point. Uh, I think the thing that will stand out the most is the game winner against the Pelicans, even though that was not like, ultimately that game didn't mean much in the grand scheme of things, right? Like that didn't, 
help the Pistons make the playoffs or didn't, you know, uh, put the Pistons in, in position to, to do much of anything. But like that was a, that was a pretty cool moment and pretty cool uh, post-game interview that occurred after that. And uh, it was just, it'll be, I'll remember Derrick Rose for like, I never, I never was a huge Derrick Rose person, even like when he was like MVP level. Like, you know, I never watched much of the Bulls. Those Thibodeau teams are not great entertainment. And so I never really got an amazing look at him. But uh, I just seeing what we saw out of him, even for Detroit, you definitely like understood why he was so special before all the injuries hit. And it definitely gave me like more of appreciation for the earlier stages in his career. Um, and I think we can say like with happiness that like Derrick Rose does not join the like Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady, <laughs> like late stage Chris Weber, yeah. like uh, great NBA players that, you know, just kind of desiccated <laughs> in Detroit. And we'll always have that at least. So, yeah. Okay. That's like 15 minutes on the trade. I think, I think we're good on that um, because, you know, something else exciting happened last night. The the Pistons played the Lakers to uh, to a double overtime standoff before finally uh, going down in the second overtime. Um, Jeremy Grant has been just like the the brightest star for the Pistons this entire time. Ben, did, did you stay up and watch that Lakers game? It was a slog. I'm I'm not gonna front. I'm not gonna fault you if you didn't. Uh, I did not stay up, but I did watch it this morning. Okay. So okay. Uh, yeah, that that's too late for old man Ben. No question about it. But. Um, yeah, that was a really fun game to watch. Um, I thought the fight closing out the fourth quarter was incredibly exciting to watch. Um, obviously, Josh Jackson just kind of found found whatever that mojo was that he had before he got injured, right? Like, I mean, he kind of he kind of took over there offensively, and then of course Jeremy Grant was huge uh, late in the game as well. Um, I was really impressed with their ability to turn up. The defense late, they forced some really crucial turnovers toward the end of regulation uh, that really kept them in it um, and allowed them to, to sort of get back in the game. Um, <laughs> and I saw a tweet from John Hollinger that made me laugh this morning. Uh, it was something to the effect of the Lakers don't want to meet the Pistons in the playoffs, which made me <laughs> chuckle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a really fun game. Um, interesting, obviously, Blake Griffin did not play. Um, obviously Derek yeah. Rose did not play. So you look at the, if you look at the 10 man rotation that made that game competitive, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought they had a snowball's chance of being competitive, uh, but it was, it was obviously a blast to watch. And then unfortunately, you know, LeBron and AD were just too much. I think they, be, between the two of them hit three threes in a row toward the end of, um, double OT and that, that just ended up being at too many points and the Pistons just couldn't get open three point looks when they needed them at the end of double OT. But, you know, absolutely. I, I think the kind of win that a lot of the young players can learn from, because a lot of those young guys, uh, Svi, Seku, Isaiah Stewart um, got minutes late, which was fun to see as well. Yeah. The, that was a, that was, a, that was one of the, definitely like a moral victory and like, there have been a lot of like quote unquote moral victories for this team this year, but you know, the defending champs, you already beat them once on second night of a back to back, you come in there and you fight them to, you know, a, a standstill for 48 plus five, 53 minutes. <laughs> it's like, I think that like, that's definitely, that definitely qualifies as a moral victory. 
Um, but that ends the road trip. They did not win a game on the road trip. They also didn't play one of the games because of a COVID scare. Um, they got there's two fairly competitive losses against Utah and the Lakers, like we just mentioned, and two not as competitive losses in Phoenix and Golden State. Um, so Ben, is is that like is that what our definition of success is now? If they, if they're competitive against better teams half the time, that's that's good. Is that good enough? Well, it's good enough in the context of the road trip, right? I mean, this yeah. th- their brutal five-game West Coast road trips have just been extraordinarily difficult to watch for the past several years. Um, I think ending it on a high note <laughs> with a loss against the Lakers, I-, I think there's you know there's something there. Um, they obviously beat the Lakers once, as you mentioned, came super close to sweeping them for the season. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you know the fact that this team was able to do that without Blake Griffin sort of quarterbacking um, tells you that there's some real development happening uh, and that's exciting to see. No, absolutely. Um, I do. I worry a little bit about Seku though. Like we, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't tried. I've tried to not get too low when, when bad Seku is out and I've tried not to get too high when, when good Seku is out. But um, I did not love what I saw in the Laker game last night, and that was just kind of typical of how the the road trip went for him. I'm glad he's getting minutes. I'm glad he's getting the looks. But uh, you know, only one for seven shooting against the Lakers, four points, three rebounds. Um, his only made basket was a was a nice cut for a dunk, which is like what we know he can do. But you, you hope to see to see more of that. But he also wasn't put in extreme position to succeed because he started the game and was matched up with Anthony Davis who punked him like five <laughs> times in a row to start the game. And so it's like, you, you wonder, I don't wonder about his confidence because they, they've said the team has said explicitly, like, you know, he's, he's working hard. He's doing everything he's asked of doing. Now I'm starting to wonder a little bit about his ability, right? Now I'm starting to wonder um, if, if he's not, if he's not as uh, able to like, you know, express his talent as often as we'd like him to like, what, like what should, how should that like realign our expectations around Seku? And so I want, I want him to be better than he is. Honestly, I want him to, I want him to do some technical stuff. That's better. Right. Like I want him to, his shot looks a little bit weird. It always looked a little bit funky up top with, with the wrist flick, but now there's like a sway in there at the, at the bottom is like, I, I don't love that. You'd like him to go up stronger in transition. He had a shot. He had a transition opportunity against the Lakers that he just went up really softly with it, and he missed. Um, and, he, and you know that's not. You would like him to try and at least like try and draw fouls if nothing else, and try just finish strong uh, with strength through contact. Um, I like his effort and uh, focus on the defensive end. We mentioned like Anthony Davis punking him, but like Anthony Davis punks everybody. I'm not like overly concerned about that. But you you do like and you do like his activity on the glass. But like he he just he doesn't seem he doesn't seem like listless and lifeless like he did last year after the good hot streak. But he's not playing well either. So I'm I'm kind of just like up up in the air with like what 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 am I supposed to do with, with this 20 year old who like is just kind of there most of the time, Ben. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let, let's just say it. he's flat out bad right now. Um, yeah. 
he he runs the floor really really hard and i really like that about him um he seems to move well without the ball i really like that about him um but he can't throw the ball in the ocean (laughs) i mean his shooting numbers are just atrocious and like you mentioned there's nothing in like in his shot when you're just watching him that shoot that makes you think oh yeah there's there's a knockdown shooter there right um his shooting numbers almost across the board are worse than they were a season ago except for his free throw shooting which is up a little bit um but his three-point numbers are down his two-point numbers are down and that that does not bode well um so yeah I, i think it's absolutely fair to start asking the question, okay, now that we've seen him in a little bit of a consistent role over a somewhat extended period of time, like, is there a basketball player in there? Um, I'm not at all ready to say, no, there's not, but I am ready to say right now, like his skills are just not where they need to be to be an NBA player. Uh, I think you should still get minutes because the Pistons don't have, <laughs> Pistons don't have a whole lot of players and it makes sense to play him to continue to evaluate and see what he's got. Um, I agree with you last night in particular was a particularly difficult matchup for him, but at the same time, he got several open looks, right? Like he got several wide open threes and they weren't even close. They were just total bricks. Um, And as you mentioned, the only bucket he got was, it was a pretty nice flush, but you know, he's like one for seven or something like that. And that, that's just, you know, it's just not good enough. So, uh, so yeah, he's to me. I think the thing that is most concerning to me about him right now is I don't see anything in his game that's like a real clear upgrade from his rookie season, right? Um, maybe defensively, you could say he's a little more engaged. He's getting to the right spots as a team defender, etc. But I mean, his offense right now is so bad that those minor incremental improvements defensively are just nowhere close to enough uh, for him to be a legitimate NBA threat right now. So, so yeah, I mean, Seku's bad right now. I hope he still plays. Um, I hope there's more there, but you know, at 20 years old in his second NBA season, it, it's just not looking great. Yeah. I, you, you put it extremely well where it's like, I, it's way too early to write him off. And like, that is definitely not what I think either of us are trying to do, but he is playing. And he's, if he's getting like, you know, 15, 17, 18 minutes a night, like you would like to see some production, some sort of production, like out of those minutes. And that is currently not happening. Um, you know, to tie it back in a little bit to, to Dennis Smith Jr. and, and the backup point guard situation, I, I do wonder if a better point guard play would make more utilization of Seku's strengths. This is something that, uh, other people uh, in Pistons Twitter have been kind of pointing out um, our, you know, our buddy Kuka Hill, a Detroit bad boy specifically. I'm thinking of, um, you know, guys aren't looking at Seku in those transition runs, and like that's how he gets a lot of his baskets. Um, they're not at taking as much advantage of him, you know, cutting into space, and so because the team isn't necessarily like leveraging his strengths, um, it's just like making him shoot you know, open catch and shoot threes, which is hopefully going to be a strength of his, but isn't right now. So you understand like why he's not producing, but at the same time, like at some point we have to put his lack of production on him, right? It can't all it, maybe it doesn't always, uh, it's maybe it's not a hundred percent 
him, you know, part of it is the coaching. Part of it is the offense. Part of it is the other four guys on the floor. You know, part of it is the other, you know, five guys on the defense, you know, allotting him what, what they'll allow him to do. But, you know, at some point, Seku like has to take responsibility for his own development and, and, and his own production. And so, uh, it's too early to write him off, but I think he he definitely needs to do more uh, in terms of production. I mean, I I do like that they're playing him with Mason Plumley. I do think like Mason is one of the few guys on this team who like if you get open, he can get you the ball from weird angles and in a weird position. Um, and so you hope that continues. Um, but yeah, like we we need to see more from Seku, and I don't think it's too much to ask for him to produce like no one's going to ask i'm not asking him to score like 10 points a night like that that would be that would be really nice but i'm I'm not asking for that just like you know do one thing consistently offensively like at an nba level that's not like run the floor that's actually like shows up in the stat sheet before we start talking about like you know how effective you are or are not being as as a role player yeah, exactly. And I think if they're going to play him at the four, which is kind of where they've been slotting him more often than not, like he's got to rebound better. Like if you look at his advanced rebounding numbers, his rebounding numbers aren't any better than they were a season ago. That does not bode well for him. Um, and, and I think too, like, you know, I hate to make this comparison because it's almost unfair, but the last really young four that the Pistons drafted was Henry Ellenson. And like, it's it was kind of the same story for him, right? Like you just never saw anything from one season to the next that indicated that he had what it was going to take, right? Now I'm not saying Seku's there. Seku's obviously got way more athleticism and some other tools that I think are better position him to be more successful than Henry Ellenson. But the flip side of it is, like, you know, if if, if Seku Nuboya were not a Piston, I don't think any of us would have him on our radar at all, right? Like he's not a guy that if you're not a Pistons fan, you're thinking, oh, what's what's Sekou Dembuya doing? Right? Like you're just not thinking about him because he other than like one small stretch as a rookie, he just hasn't shown that he's got what it takes yet. So it, it's one thing to say um Sekou Dembuya is bad right now. And that's what I'm saying. It's another thing to say Sekou Dembuya is bad right now and he's never going to amount to anything and that is not what i'm saying if that makes yeah. sense i know that makes that makes a ton of sense your your comparison about if if we didn't have him we wouldn't be paying attention is so funny to me because that brings up like you know i'm just gonna we're gonna half a tangent uh the knicks when you're talking about derrick rose trades uh the knicks were not willing to part with kevin knox in a derrick rose trade and Knox is in like a similar role, right? Where he's like, he's a 6'10 forward who was highly drafted. And you're like, this guy should be better at basketball than, than he's been in his NBA career. And it's like, well, he's a young dude. Maybe it's the situation. Maybe it's the coaching. Maybe it's the other guys. And like at, at some point, right? Like you, you got to take responsibility for your own career. And so, yeah, I, I do wonder. I do very much hope that Seku does not, you know, go down the pathway of the Henry Ellenson or the Kevin Knox. But uh, we can't, you know, if you just, just looking at the production, it's, it's hard to say that's outside of the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. That's all. Yep. That's right. All right, Ben, uh, after a long road trip, it's good to have some games come on in the Eastern time zone at a reasonable time. (laughs) Once more, the Pistons play the Brooklyn Nets on Tuesday the Indiana Pacers on Thursday, the Boston Celtics Friday on a back-to-back, 
And then they play the New Orleans Pelicans on Sunday. They play a close game this week. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about Brooklyn, right? KD, from everything I'm seeing, is going to continue to be out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Brooklyn is still better than the Pistons either way. <laughs> I, th- um, I was like, okay, I want to I want to see where he goes with this. Copy and paste. Uh, I don't think that one's going to be close. Um, Celtics, Celtics just aren't aren't doing it this season, right? Like they used to, but they're still they're still better than the Pistons. And I think the ways that they're better are still difficult for the Pistons to deal with. So I don't like that one a whole lot either. Um, Indiana, okay, so Indiana, I haven't really watched especially since the trade. So I, I don't know. I'm going to punt on that one and then let you fill me in. Um, and then the Pelicans, you know, sort of a mediocre team that are still better than the Pistons. So I don't know which one of the four is going to be close, but I'll say that one of those four, maybe it's New Orleans, maybe it's Indiana. One of the four I think will be close this week. So the thing to know about the Pacers is that Miles Turner has been playing like a defensive player of the True. year candidate yes. yeah. this year. And so, that's going to be tough. You expect him to be kind of camped out uh, near the paint, cutting off drives, and that will de- diminish Jeremy Grant's effectiveness in particular. And so I'll be curious to see how, how that matchup goes. Um, they're also pretty deep. They they got back Jeremy Lamb. Uh, TJ McConnell's having a really nice year. And so, like, yeah, I'd, yeah they probably play that close, but that, that does not look like a good one. Um, and New Orleans, I was I was inclined to say like they they could beat New Orleans uh, like a week or two ago, but uh, Lonzo Ball has like really turned it on over the last week or so, and I think the Pelicans have won their last four games, their last three games, something like that. Well, he's had like a couple career por- performances just in the last couple of weeks, right? Like he has yeah. a career performance and then sets another career performance. That's what I've been seeing in the headlines. Yeah, yeah, and so we'll I'll be interested to see that. That'll be the return of Stan Van Gundy to Detroit. Uh, there's no fans to receive him, fortunately <laughs> just or unfortunately. As, just as well for him. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think I think the Pistons can keep that one close. Um, be interesting to see like Zion guarding Jeremy Grant, just like two very different human beings. Oh my gosh, totally. <laughs> and, uh, and the Pistons have already beaten Boston, so maybe that'll happen again. Who knows? They didn't have Kemba last time, though. They right. think, and Kemba's back. And so, well, and if you... I was going to mention this. We didn't really break down the games, but like... Um, this week in particular, the the Pistons guards really struggled defensively. Oh yeah, uh, Phoenix like the, just the lit Utah them game? up. Utah yeah. game was brutal. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that continues to be a concern moving forward. So anyone with a good backcourt, I mean, I don't feel good about. No, yeah, and that's what happens when you start either you know Wayne Ellington or <laughs> Sadiq Bay, who's right. a rookie. Yeah. And- Playing actually pretty good against the Lakers, but you know, still a rookie. It's an awkward, like, I don't know. He just doesn't feel like a shooting guard to me. Yeah, he's kind of big. Yeah, to be a shooting guard, but uh, you know, positionality. You, you kind of hope you can you can turn that guy into a, a something a little bit more fluid. But yeah, all right, Ben. That that seems like we're we're doing good. Let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, anything you're working on this week. Well, hey, you know, a couple weeks ago, Laz, we talked about Jeremy Grant and all-star voting. Like, um, I would love for Jeremy Grant to make the all-star team, and he's been doing pretty well. So maybe that will be maybe that will be my Twitter campaign. Let's get let's make Jeremy Grant an all-star guy. He deserves it. No, absolutely. Um the <laughs> what what was the uh was he tenth or seventh 
when we got the numbers. The fact that he were asking that question is a surprise in and of itself to me. He was in the top 10, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, especially for a team that's five and 18, right? It's just crazy that, you know, other people not in Detroit are taking notice of what Jeremy Grant's doing. Well, and he was on the low post, right? Like that was a cool interview. If somehow you haven't listened to that yet, check that out as well. Oh yeah. Apparently he's a comic book guy, Jeremy Grant. If you want to come on the Detroit bad boys (laughs) podcast, and talk about the Avengers Dissembled arc that's leading into <laughs> WandaVision. We can definitely do that. Okay. Uh, okay, Les. <laughs> no, I mean it'll be uh it'll be that'll be that would be fun though. That would be that would be cool. Um you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. It's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And yeah, we'll we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.